What's up, everybody, and welcome into the Under the Hood podcast. John of the Hood with you again on a Saturday. Every weekend, I give you something just saying what's up to you. Appreciate you guys listening to Cap and J Hood, show I do with uh, David Kaplan every morning between 7 and 10 a.m. Central Time on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Have you downloaded that ESPN Chicago app? You should. Right there on your device, on your iPad. It's just cool because it's right there for you. You'll be able to pick up all the podcasts and listen to the shows live. So I just hope that you get a chance to uh, listen to the show because we're having a ball, having a blast, being able to entertain you. Um, you know, just to start off with, just playing a little Gucci. Gucci Mane and Jeezy, right? I love I love music. I don't talk enough really about that, but it's something special about that trap music. <laughs> it's just something. Well, you can't be in a certain mood sometimes, but that trap music is just funny. If you are on Instagram, like I am, at IGJHood, you know that sometimes it pops up is these versus battles between two musical artists. And this week was Gucci Mane against Jeezy. And it's just kind of funny, you know... One guy is really about the money he's making now, and the other one's about legacy. Jeezy told Gucci Mane, Gucci Mane says, hey, look at what I'm dressed in. I got a $10,000 outfit as they battled each other at Magic City on Instagram, right? Gucci said, I got like a $10,000 outfit, and Jeezy's like, oh, that's great, but I own half of Atlanta, so enjoy your outfit. There's two guys that don't like each other. I guess everything's good now, but they didn't like each other for a while, and then they battled each other and put their best songs against one another their whole albums uh they're some of their greatest hits against one another it's a really interesting concept i'm surprised it's free for all of us on instagram you know it, because some of the stuff i'd pay for battle between one or the other but uh there's been a number of these and it's been kind of fun to watch the battles for um uh with these musical artists all right lots to talk about here um first of all want to talk a little bit about the Bulls draft because, you know, watching the Bulls draft and watching what the NBA did, first of all, let's talk a little bit about um, the Bulls because the Bulls drafted Patrick Williams with the fourth pick of the draft. It went Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, LaMelo Ball, then Patrick Williams went forward to the Bulls. I am just amazed at how many people get on social media and just talk shit about stuff they don't know about. It's crazy, right? It's like, so Patrick Williams gets drafted and Bulls Nation, not everybody, but a lot of people are just like, this guy's a bust. I cannot believe this. With the anger of a thousand sons, there's people coming after Patrick Williams have not seen one game of Patrick Williams at Florida State. Not one game. But yet, because... Patrick Williams wasn't on their little mock draft, or Patrick Williams uh, wasn't a guy that they're familiar with, then he's a bust. I get so tired of this nonsense. I really do. We get this with the NFL draft. We get this with the NBA draft as well. If they don't pop up in your mock draft, or you didn't see them on SportsCenter, then I guess that means they're a bust, right? No. No. They're not a bust. 
Um, the the idea that Patrick Williams gets drafted by the Bulls and someone that Arturus Karnaschovas really wanted, and Patrick Williams falls to four. The hope is that Patrick Williams can develop into something. But ultimately, if you really take a close look at what's going on with the Bulls, it's not even about Patrick Williams. It's about the core that's already there. And it's about how the team can build with free agency. People just get all up in arms, just like, oh, God, I can't believe it's a reach. It's a bust. You don't know. I love the experts that come out. Like, I could open up the phone lines on the morning show and be like, hey, who are your top 10 players you look, you look forward to for this upcoming college football season or the upcoming college basketball season? They would have no clue, no idea. Then we get to draft time, then everyone is an expert. Meanwhile, for college football, I'm watching every Saturday. I host a college football show. I talk to people. I read. Well, college basketball, I'm calling the UIC Flames. I'm involved with college basketball. Talk to people around college basketball to get ready for the draft. You know, I get involved in these things. That way I'm ready for the draft and nights like we had this past uh, Wednesday. So it's just it's so ridiculous. People look at the Bulls and Patrick Williams like, oh, this it's just like they were. Here, here's what I will tell you. I would rather have Karnaschovas and Eversley and this new group coming in, taking a look at the Bulls draft, then going back to Gar and Pax's ass. I know that's for sure. So ridiculous. People just look for things to get angry about, and this is a new time for the Chicago Bulls. And so why can't we just be happy with what the Bulls have been doing, right? I'm happy with what the Bulls are doing because at least it's a new head coach that's a top-shelf coach in Billy Donovan, and you've got two guys that know basketball. They'll put a new spin on things, and at the usual, the same old, same old that we saw from Gar and Pax. So I'm not going to tell Bulls fans to be patient. I'm not going to tell you how to be a fan, but I know as a fan for me, I'm going to be patient watching to see how this develops because I can see this team as a perennial playoff team in the next couple of years uh, and making some noise, especially as soon as Giannis leaves Milwaukee, <laughs> if that happens, right? So as far as the overall draft, real quick, I'm not really knocked out by any draft pick. I don't think there is a consensus number one in this draft we saw a couple of days ago. Uh, Anthony Edwards Went to Georgia. I think he's a good player. I don't know if he's the number one pick in the draft. I know he was on draft night, but I don't know if ultimately he's going to be the best player out of that draft at number one. Does he deserve that position? We will see. I know people are tripping on him because he said, I'm not really into basketball. I'm into football because you can express yourself more. And I thought that was funny. <laughs> as in, in basketball, you can't express yourself. Uh, has he watched any NBA games? Has he watched any college games? So I think it's funny. Anthony says, I'm not really into basketball. And then he becomes a Timberwolf, the number one draft pick. How about that? But I do like James Wiseman because of the size. You know, even in a guard-oriented NBA where everything is about the three-point shooting and guard play, Man, James Wiseman's size is still very good. Uh, when he has a seven-foot wingspan and the dude can do a lot of things, you know, I'm not saying that he's going to be the best guy in the draft, but I like the upside of James Wiseman, and he's in a perfect spot with the Warriors. We'll talk about Golden State in just a second. LaMelo Ball is going to be interesting. When Michael Jordan busts that ass, he's going to see him in practice, and it's going to be kind of funny because LaMelo Ball comes in with a lot of pomp and circumstance, and the dude's got you know, millions of followers on Instagram, which is cool. But, you know, with him being part of the Hornets, I think it's he's in a perfect spot in a small market. There's not this, the big spotlight on him in Chicago or New York or L.A. He's in Charlotte, 
with Michael Jordan. Now, that team's not going anywhere, but the point is, is that LaMelo Ball can be able to slowly learn and I know that he's an elite passer, that is for sure. But that was on the international level. Does he do that in the NBA level? How does that transfer? And his shot is broke. Uh, he's got to be able to figure that out too. None of these guys are really uh, terrific shooters or top line shooters. So, you know, I look forward to seeing how the development of these players are. Like, I'm not knocked out by a lot of these guys, but it's all about development. Where are they in three years? Uh, I don't see an all star amongst these guys in the top eight, top nine through the first couple of years, but eventually they will develop. Um, and then there's Patrick Williams. People are tripping on Pat because he came off the bench and he was part of a quick rotation for Florida State. That's how Leonard Hamilton was doing things, you know, as the head coach for Florida State. That guy still can do a lot of great things. Just go to YouTube, look for Patrick Williams' highlights. I think that many would be impressed. There's a reason why he was went four. Um, so, I look forward to seeing how these young guys develop. As I mentioned, there's no Zion Williamson. There's not even a John Morant in the top 15 that I see in the draft. Tyrese Halliburton and Okongwu, who went to the Hawks, Okoro. I see some guys that could be in the league for 10 or 15 years. I, I see that. I can see that. Uh, but as far as superstar potential, not yet. But we will see. So let me see. Um, oh, let me get to Clay Thompson. So sad, Clay Thompson, right? So I'm kind of find out that Clay Thompson is trying to ramp up his workouts to make sure that he's ready for the opening of the season and do gets hurt. He's going to be out for the year. It's the other leg, ACL. That is so terrible for him. Clay Thompson's Achilles tear is obviously devastating to Thompson himself, and the basketball world feels his pain for sure. Um, Thompson is nearly a folk hero on the Bay Area and beyond, and now he's got a, a torn a, uh, Achilles heel. I say ACL, Achilles heel. Um, God, it's so bad. He was working out in Southern California on Wednesday. And then that's where he tore it while he was trying to work out, getting ready for the season. Remember, he was a he's a five-time All-Star, missed the entire 2019-20 season after uh, suffering a torn ACL in his left knee uh, during Game 6 of the 2019 NBA Finals against the Raptors. I remember that because I remember he tore his ACL and then had went back to the, went to the locker room, came back out, shot the free throws, and then pedaled, backpedaled into the defense. It was like, okay, here we go. And then uh, Steve Kerr called timeout. I was like, I don't know. You're, you can't be out here. But Clay was going to play anyway, even though he was in dire pain with that torn ACL. He did what his instincts normally would tell him, right? Shoot the free throws, get back on defense. And that's what he did. And so the coaching staff was like, yeah, man, you can't play. <laughs> you got a torn ACL. And he's going to play on it anyway. Ah, I feel so bad for him. Gordon Hayward is now a free agent. Tell me how crazy this is, right? Hey, I don't blame the man for betting on himself, but Gordon Hayward opted out of his $34 million deal and is going to be a free agent with the Celtics. Someone's going to pay him more. Now, Hayward originally signed a four-year, $127.8 million contract with Boston in 2017. After playing his first seven years with Utah, his first game, he had that gruesome leg injury that cost him his initial season. But he had an option, and he, he's opting out of the Celtics. Is someone going to pay Gordon Hayward more than $34 million? For real? 
he is not the same player he was before the injury. So I think that that's uh, that's a little strange. So I don't I don't get that at all. Uh, but he opted out, so he's better than himself. So someone's going to pay Gordon Hayward. It just won't be the Celtics. At least that's what I'm finding out. A um, couple other things too. Um, Avery Bradley, the Lakers, he declined his $5 million player option. He's going to be a nice player for somebody. Um, just looking through here. The Bucks. that's why I want to get to the Milwaukee Bucks. So, the Milwaukee Bucks made some wholesale changes to try to get better in the offseason, try to find a way to uh, solidify themselves as the number one team in the East. Remember, they fell short and were underachieved in the bubble. Um, people thought that you know Giannis was destined to be able to be in the finals, possibly. Uh, I didn't pick him there. I had Toronto going to the finals, and that fell short. Um, and Miami got there, and they deserved it, rightfully so. But... Um, Milwaukee's doing all they can to be able to have Giannis stay. And they made some changes with the team. And I still don't think that they are better. Um, And so that's... I I think they're going to be good. But so on Wednesday, there was a sign-and-trade that was initially reported by ESPN on Monday and would have sent restricted free agent Bogdan Bogdanovich to Milwaukee for Dante DiVincenzo. Ilya Silva and DJ Wilson. It unraveled in the most uncomfortable of ways. After all, such a deal is tough to pull off when you get all these rules in the NBA. Uh, once the deal that allegedly wasn't fell apart, you knew things were not going in the right direction. So the uh, there was a league investigation, and the deal that they want to pull off is not happening now. So, you know, Adetokounmpo is someone where I've always said, well, the dude's not part of the AAU culture, so maybe he will want to stay in Milwaukee. You know, a lot of guys like to be able to hopscotch around the country to try to find their, uh, uh, to try to increase their chances to win a championship. And I don't know if Giannis is one of those dudes. Many are in the NBA, but is Giannis that dude that says, yeah, you know, Milwaukee is not the spot for me right now. They're not trying to win a championship. I I feel like all the pressure's on me, so I'm going to go someplace else. Some players do that, right? Russell Westbrook, James Harden. <laughs> Some players do that, right? So we'll see what happens with that. But I see Milwaukee trying to do what they can to get better offensively, get more production around Giannis. And now that deal fell apart, so we'll see how that all uh, develops for the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, it's unclear who the Bucks will pursue in the free agency, but you know they're going to be aggressive, right? They're going to be aggressive. But I I still look for that Robin and that third person to really help Giannis along. Drew Holiday is a nice player, but is Drew Holiday really a difference-making player? They, they are coveting Drew Holiday like he's a top-10 player, Milwaukee. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, something else, too. You're going to hear from Theo Epstein in just a moment. Theo Epstein is uh, calling it quits. He's leaving the Cubs organization a year early. So with the Cubs, the Cubs are in trouble right now. The Cubs are in trouble. I remember 
the year the Cubs won the World Series. And I was at our State Street Studios, and I was looking up at the monitor and watching, waiting to come on the air because I was working with Ben Finfer. And we were doing the post game because we knew either Cubs were going to win or lose in game seven, but we were going to be there for post game coverage, right? And I remember seeing just scores of people standing outside of our studios because you could see through at the window, right? And so, um, People are looking through the window at the game. And then when the Cubs won the World Series, it was so electric. So many people on the streets were just dancing and honking their horns as cars were going by. So happy that the Cubs won the World Series. It's something I wasn't sure I'd ever see in my lifetime. And then when I did see it, just the feeling that Cub fans had, like that monkey off their back, like, God, we finally did it, right? We finally won the World Series. As a Sox fan, as a Chicago sports fan, I'm elated, too, because it's a great Chicago sports moment, right? I don't have to be a Cubs fan to feel the emotion and how great that was um, to see the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. Um, Personally, I've never been like this Cubs hater. The reason why, if I have a problem with the Cubs, it's usually when they take on the White Sox. Otherwise, I'm fine with the Cubs because I always think it's bad for business to be a Sox fan and then just shit on the Cubs the whole time. Like, that's counterproductive. The Cubs don't play in the American League Central. So I don't worry about them. I, w- I worry about them in their division and see how they develop because I think their story is interesting. But I continue to hear out of Clark and Addison how they are losing money. And, you know, the Cubs are just not the ballpark anymore and the bars around there because the Ricketts family owns so much property around there. All those revenue streams are dried up during COVID. All, all those revenue streams are dried up. No one's going in bars there or going to the little farmer's market or, you know, during the pandemic, nobody was allowed at Wrigley. So, you know, they're losing a lot of money, tons of money. So if I were the Cubs, what I would do is, is that I would pare back payroll and try to be able to get younger. Here's the thing about Theo Epstein, and I respect Theo. You'll hear his full conversation with uh, David Kaplan and I in just a moment. But the point is that... Theo comes into town and knows how to spend your money the right way. Put yourself in a position to try to win a championship and he will do that. But then when you are bereft of quality in the minor league system, how are you supposed to grow? The Dodgers found a way to win a World Series and still have young talent in the minor league system. Cubs don't have that. So that, that's, um, that's a problem. So it is a, it's a major problem. So I, I don't know. I think that when we see uh, Theo Epstein come in, win a World Series, if you're a Cubs fan, you'll take it, right? You got your one championship, you had sustained success for a while, but the next few years, if you are the Cubs and realize, like, okay, well, we can't contend, but we have all these assets that other teams would covet, like you, Darvish, or Chris Bryant, or Javi Baez, or Anthony Rizzo, or Contreras, or, you know, those type of players... I think you have to consider dealing to try to get better with your minor league system. Now, here's the thing. You could try to get prospects, but you may not get top line guys. It might take a while. Like, as a White Sox fan, I know this, right? It took a decade almost for the Sox to be in a position to contend and succeed. And now you saw this past season, they went to the playoffs. So, I don't know. It is a slippery slope, but it's just not an easy fix, though, for the Cubs. So be happy with the World Series. 
the Cubs should have been able to contend. I've never seen a ball club went through a three-year slump offensively. It was bad. It's bad. Embarrassing. Dudes couldn't even score three runs or more, let alone two runs or more in some games. It was a struggle uh, for the uh, for the Chicago Cubs. I saw a report uh, yesterday that the Nationals are interested in Chris Bryant. Well, you know, make your best deal, but you got to replenish that minor league system. You can't replace it with other free agents and think you're going to contend. Uh, that's not going to work. So, um, so we'll hear from Theo in a little bit, as I mentioned. But I just think that they're the Cubs are in, in trouble here. We're going back to 2013, 2014, 2015 Cubs. At least 2013, 14, 15. You can see the light at the end of the tunnel, possibly. Uh, because you start to see Theo bring the team together, but like when Theo first got here, the team was the team was a drizzling shits. It was bad. Uh, so now with Theo gone, he saw it too. He's like, wait, the team is broke. I can't spend money on free agents. Um, the team hasn't hit in three years. Yeah, I'm out of here. I'll leave a year early and leave this to Jed Hoyer. <laughs> and then. Next spring and summer, will their fans will fans be there? And if there are no fans there, right? If no no fans there, that means no revenue. So the Cubs might have to go through this next year, and then even then, they're still going to be behind financially because of this past season. So they might have to trade some assets to try to get their minor league system right. That's all I'm saying. Oh, I'm so happy the Bears are on a buy. They're on a buy this week, but then again, how can you tell? The offense has been on a bye for weeks now, probably all season, quite frankly. Quite frankly, they've been on a bye all all season. I know one thing. This past Thursday, when I saw Thursday Night Football and watched Seattle against Arizona, man, I was so happy to see that football game because it wasn't the Bears. If it sounds like I'm down the Bears, you're right, I'm down the Bears. Because... All my life watching Bears football, I've seen a team that has a good enough defense or an elite defense and an offense is terrible. This team is cursed when it comes to offense. I don't understand it. (laughs) The football guy said, you will be a great defensive team. That's all you'll ever be. Win defensively. Well, that's cool. They have been great in 2000. This team would have been really stellar in 2000. They would be a strong contender in 2000. You know why? Because it was about defenses not only doing their job, but also scoring and beating teams 12 to 7, 14 7, stuff like that, right? But I mean, this nonsense here, it is a struggle. This past Monday night when the Bears lost to the Vikings, lost four in a row into the bye, slip sliding away. Just bad, bad football. I'm looking at the schedule for this upcoming Sunday. And Kansas City against the Las Vegas Raiders seems like a good game. That's top of the line. Let me see. I like that game. I also like Tennessee and Baltimore. We'll see what Lamar has to to give against Tennessee's defense at home. That should be a good game. New England at Houston is interesting because it's Cam against uh, Deshaun Watson. We'll see what that game looks like. And um, that's about it. I guess in the Monday night game, Tampa uh, will entertain the L.A. Rams. So that'll be an interesting game on Monday night, but... 
man, it's going to be good to see some good football. No Bears, just to see offenses that are electric, moving the football down the field, plays. Bears are just so bad. You know, there's a stat out there about the Bears and the Jets and how they have similar numbers offensively. That's bad, man. And the Jets haven't won a game this year. <laughs> so it's just it's just really, really horrible. Um, lastly, before we hear from Theo Epstein, on the 28th of November will be the first time for me, as far as we know, UIC Flames basketball against Trinity International. That'll be my first game that I will do for the college basketball season. It's a slippery slope, though, because of COVID-19. There's been so many games in college football that have been postponed. We're, we're getting close to the 100-game mark as far as postponements for COVID-19. It's dangerous, people. I don't have to tell you how dangerous COVID-19 is. Just open up your phone and... The thing that's really tripped out to me about this country, there's a lot of things, but when it comes to this pandemic, you know, this is, um, this whole thing is not political. COVID-19 should not be political. It's about science. Everything's not political. Everything is not Democratic and Republican. It's not about Democrats and Republicans when it comes to safety. Every time we have people fighting on Instagram to try to get into a Walmart without a mask, it just shows you the selfishness of this country. If you're a selfish person, then you're a prick. You should not be selfish, right? Even if you're one of these people that like to isolate yourself from people and and you feel like you are a loner. Okay, that's great. But you can't be putting people in harm's way because you feel like your freedoms are taken away from you because you want to be an anti-masker. Well, look, nobody wants to be around you and, and sucking up your germs when we're trying to lower the curve in this pandemic. I keep seeing all these numbers and whether you believe in the numbers or not, people are dying. There's people all around me at work that have suffered with it. There's family. I've said this many times. I've had a family member die because of COVID-19, a young person. So it just it's you know, it's so many selfish people. You know, it's like you turn, you cut the light on and watch the roaches scatter, right? And those are the people that are selfish. This whole thing with COVID-19 is dangerous, but yet, oh, no, you can't do this. You're taking away my freedoms. I want, I want my life back like it was and, you know, a couple of years ago. Well, life is different. At this point in time, it's different. And I'm willing to adjust. A lot of selfish people that cannot adjust to what's going on right now, and they're exposing themselves. It it really exposes the lack of will and the lack of humanity of a lot of people that say, yeah, I don't care if I get COVID-19. If I die, I die. Okay, that's good for you, but what about the next person? That's because a lot of people don't care about the next person. This is why they build 12 and 15 feet fences in their yard so they don't have to see anybody and isolate themselves. And that's cool, but don't get other people sick because you don't understand the enormity and how serious it is when people are their bodies are stacked up in trucks and stacked up like cornwood you know of of people that have passed away you know you know people don't care about the people that are working in hospitals trying to get people well they don't care about that they only care about their own lives and so it just um, that's not surprising but it just reveals the lack of character of valid people not understanding that COVID-19 is real and that you should have a mask to make sure that you don't get someone else sick. But a lot of people don't give give a damn about that because there's a lot of selfish people. And 
I think we've all known that, but now you see it all the time now. Now you really know. So as I mentioned, I'll be doing college basketball with the UIC Flames with Chris Black. I look forward to doing that. And as all those games, by the way, is going to be on ESPN+. Plus. ESPN Plus. So if you have that, look for UIC basketball. You'll see Chris and I doing these games. As long as uh, the players are healthy, there'll be games that'll move forward uh, for college basketball because the season is here. It's going to start next week. We talked to Tom Izzo this week on Cap and J Hood. It was great to hear from Tom Izzo. Um, Tom is dealing with COVID 19, is in his basement. He hasn't been with his team in two weeks. He didn't sound good either. So all the best to the Coach Izzo from. Uh, Michigan State. So I really feel bad because he didn't. He came on to wish my partner David Kaplan a happy 60th birthday, uh, and he didn't sound great. So hopefully he gets better, and everyone gets better out there if you're dealing with COVID 19. That is for sure. Um, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Hope all is well with you and your family moving forward. I know it's a different one. Um, uh, my wife and I will not be with family for the first time in forever uh, for Thanksgiving, but we'll be at the crib because we understand that there's a virus out there. And I'm not trying to die and she's not either. And we're not trying to get sick either and not trying to make any else sick. So we'll make do. We'll try to find a way. As long as I got crown and a turkey, I think I'm going to be fine. <laughs> I think we're going to be just fine. All right, y'all. Um, so Theo Epstein, let's get to that. Theo Epstein was a guest on Cap and J Hood uh, on ESPN 1000, our morning show. Uh, Theo had a lot of thoughts about what's going on w- with the Chicago Cubs and Major League Baseball. I'll try to press him on him trying to figure out what he's going to do now he parts from the Cubs. That man sounded like he might be looking at another baseball team to bless another team to try to win a championship with. So our conversation here with Theo Epstein, and as always, happy Thanksgiving. Hope you have a safe holiday. And as always, I appreciate you listening to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood, our podcast. We try to do every weekend and uh, look forward to you listening to Cap and J Hood mornings between 7 and 10. We're having a blast. And we'll put in the description of this podcast, by the way, um, the link to the podcast so you can follow along and and check it out. Uh, we're doing some crazy shit, <laughs> but we're having fun with it as well. So thanks so much. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And uh, we'll talk soon on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Here's our conversation with the former president of baseball operations for the Cubs, Theo Epstein. All right, let's go. Morning, Cap. Morning, Jay Hood. Uh, I feel great. I mean, yesterday, it couldn't have gone better. Um, I'm completely at peace with the decision. Actually, kind of thrilled with it, with with the way it all went down. It's just rare these days that uh, you you get everyone on the same page um, to have a a succession plan like this and that you leave on great terms. And, you know, the things that were said to me by by coworkers and um, just the outpouring of, of love both ways um, really underscores of how special uh, things were here. Not 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 necessarily just results, but how we went about it. We were always there for each other. I think um, so many people made a huge impact on me, made me better, and um, hopefully I had, had an impact on a lot of people along the way too. And, and uh, we care so much about our fans. They were so good to us, so coming through. Theo, Theo, it could be a a gut feeling. It could be something that when you talk to family about it, everyone goes to a crossroads. When did you know the time was right? 
what day, what time? Uh, you know, it was, we were using October 21 as the sort of default. Um, that's when my contract was up, although that was never going to be, um, you know, sort of prohibitive either way. Um, and then this summer, you know, things changed obviously in the world and they certainly changed in the industry. And so therefore they, they changed in our organization as well. And, uh, it, you know, it became clear that we were going to be faced with some decisions this winter that, that carried long-term impacts. It was clear that, you know, we, we were for at least a year um, going to be working with some reduced resources just because of what happened to our revenues. That's, that's across the game. And then, you know, it also became clear that Deb was ready and you put those things together and I, I never want to be in a spot where I'm more of a, of, a, of a burden than a help or where I'm a hindrance or where there's an awkward fit. And it just, I think the logic behind it was, was compelling. And then, uh, as I thought about it, I, I was completely at peace with it emotionally as well, because I, I, I felt like we had done what we set out to do. The organization is in really good shape. I know there are obvious, um, short term concerns at the big league level with, with some of the things we're dealing with, with this winter. Um, and the upper levels of the farm system aren't exactly stacked right now, but the bones are great. Like we, the, Redesign our scouting and player development went incredibly well. We're doing some groundbreaking things. The early results are really, really encouraging. The system's on the rise. Ted's more than ready to take over. It's a talented front office. Rossi, I think, is going to be here a long, long time and do an outstanding job. And we've got a ton of talent on the roster coming up, you know, coming back that one division that we can either use on the field or in trade. So it just logic made sense. I was great, fine with it emotionally. And then the last part was making sure, you know, Tom saw it the same way and we could get everyone on board and pull off what happened yesterday when did when you arrived here and you didn't know any of us and boy you know you're a boston guy and you won two titles and now you're coming to the lovable losers of the chicago cubs when you hit the ground and got your hands dirty was it what you expected or no now that i'm out of there when i got here it was a little different than maybe i thought i was getting into yeah, it's funny you ask that. You know, because uh, I was, I wrote a little bit about that, um, just kind of getting my thoughts together uh, over the last couple of weeks. When I got here, it felt so foreign. Um, I didn't expect it to. You know, just uh, you know, two two major markets. Um, I've been to Chicago plenty of times. Expected it to feel more familiar, but Chicago, the Cubs, Cubs fans, all felt really foreign. Um, I was thinking back to that first press conference. Like, I was, if you watch clips of that, I was speaking in this, like, monotone because I wasn't totally comfortable. Um, I remember I toured Wrigley the day before. It was gray. It looked awful. There was plywood everywhere. It wasn't how I remembered it. Cubs fans, the sensibilities, like, um, the traditions, everything was unfamiliar to me. It, it, uh, whereas when I took over the Red Sox, that was already in my blood. And now you fast forward nine years later and you know chicago is home absolutely for our family the, the, the cubs and their fans um are, are like an extended family and all i know all the traditions i feel like i i've got the same heartbeat as as cubs fans and now when i think of wrigley field you know i don't think of <laughs> that great day with the plywood i think of you know a sun-filled beautiful afternoon games sitting in the stands watching our players go out and win a game and 
and uh, you know, enjoying everything that comes with being a Cubs fan. So it's been quite a transformation that way. Theo, is there something that surprised you about Chicago versus Boston, whether it's the media, the fans, the culture? Can you, can you talk about both and what's similar and what's different? Yeah, you know, the, the biggest difference for me is just um, the certain personality of the fan base um, that I think relates to the different sensibilities in the different parts of the country. You know, Boston is, um, you know, comes from like puritanical roots and is kind of a ser- overly serious at times place. And I can, because I'm from there, I can say that without getting in trouble. And 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 kind of can be cynical, especially as they relate to their sports teams. And you know, even even if your team has like, if you're sitting at Fenway Park, Red Sox might be in first place and have a five run lead, but if a reliever comes in the seventh inning, throws, you know ball one, ball two, it's like the sky's falling and you could hear the history of the crowd and here it's just, even when the team is in last place and losing, um, but you're at Wrigley, you're having a good time, you've got a cocktail, um, or a cold one and, and you're with your friends, it, it seemed like everything was okay and it was optimistic and as long as the team was hustling, things were okay. And that, that obviously started to change as expectations um uh, grew and as a, with, with performance that that changed a little bit, but I still think it's it's just true the difference between sort of that sensibility back in Boston and this Midwestern sensibility here is reflected in the general optimism of the fan base here. I'm not saying one is better or worse because I love them both, but definitely different personality. So we were asking, you know, what what are you going to be remembered for? Obviously, November second, twenty sixteen. That's the greatest night of my sports life because that's my team that courses through my veins. But I think the thing that is bigger for me, from the seat of a Cubs fan, and someone who's covered this team for darn near thirty years, I hate the St. Louis Cardinals, and they always had that freaking Cardinal way and. Got to hit behind a runner, they're going to do it. Got to get it bumped up, they're going to do it. And we're going to find a way to screw it up. And then I sat and talked to Jason McLeod, and he said, you got to ask Theo about the dinner on Valentine's Day when we were putting the first iteration of the Cubs way together. He goes, we go to dinner. I'm going to let you take it from there because that's before anything got built. Yeah, so it was right before the first... uh board meeting that we had in February of 2012 and it was probably overly ambitious but I thought you know this is our chance to get everyone together in the organization all 120 or so people in scouting and player development we need to we need to cover every single detail of how we're going to play the game how we're going to teach the game what we're going to look for in players what kind of makeup we're going to value everything we need to get it all written down so of course, we were scrambling to finish because uh, that's quite a daunting task to, to get done in in, in, a, in a matter of a couple months. And so, it was the night before the meeting, um, I think it was like it was February 14. Um, we're in Arizona. The meeting start nine o'clock the next day, so we still had. Uh, I think we had to finish up base running or something. And, and um, so, I, I, I grabbed Jason. He was running player development. Said, Let, let's let's go out to dinner. We'll finish. We'll, we'll have a work it up and we'll work on opening remarks too. So we go to a restaurant and uh, looks pretty crowded, a lot of couples, the hostess is there, so you kind of see the two of us, gives us a nice smile and asks if we, you know, if we want a table for two, we say yes, she says, oh I have this nice table over here, she seats us. So then we sit for like two hours, we're sitting next to each other, grinding on this work, have a good dinner, get up to leave and um, 
the escorts us out of the restaurant, we look around, we realize all these couples that it's, uh, it's Valentine's Day. That's why there are all the couples out there. As we're leaving, she just says, I have to tell you guys, you just make such a cute couple. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. You're like, oh, my God, we were here yeah. working. They thought we were together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, yeah, we were dying. We were dying laughing about that. We, I think I told that story the next morning at the at the kickoff the org meetings. And it, it broke the ice pretty well with everybody. Theo, when did you know uh, that the organization was turning the corner for good? You know, before we got here, the Cubs would win a championship here in '84, win in '89, and it would just be so few and far in between. But there had to be a turning point. We say, yeah, you know what? We're going in the right direction. When was that for you? Um, I think it. it manifested on the field um, probably in, in, in the last couple months of 14 um, there, there was a stretch there where we called up we called up Javi we called up Soler and then um, and Hendricks and, and Hendricks started to pitch really well and then um, and then we had that game in Cincinnati where Chapman threw over Rizzo's head and uh, or threw over Baker's head, and then Rizzo challenged the, stormed over and challenged the entire Reds dugout. That was where I felt like we kind of grew up a little bit mm -hmm. as a team. We're serious. We played pretty good baseball. I think played at least oh, 500 or maybe a tick above the last two months. And having those guys up and playing well, um, having you know our our young star potential players go from prospects to young big leaguers allowed us to then do a little bit better sales job with uh, the Joe Maddens and John Lester's of the world um, that winter. And, and so I think that, that was an, inter an important turning point. And then um, around that same time, I think, too, the, we made that as an asshole trade July 3rd or July 4th of that year, that summer. And that was when we made that deal. We thought it felt like we had just made our last deal um, for a while where we'd have to um, move, you know, key veterans for, for prospects and that, hey, pretty, I think we said, like, we're going to start losing. You know, we just won all these deals because it's kind of easy to win deals when you're uh, when you're trading veterans for young players that we're probably going to, we have to all get comfortable, probably going to lose, make some deals that are uncomfortable deals. We'll, we'll probably lose, but they're going to help us win on the field because we knew we were going to start to get competitive in a hurry. So you get to the World Series, and I was talking to Rossi, and he said, I'll be honest with you, when Rajay Davis hits the home run. The first thing in my mind went, "Oh God, there's a curse. There's absolutely a curse." Ben Zobra I said th the I exact thought you were same thing. Say the first thing in his mind went, "Theo's gonna be pissed at me because he for calling 14 straight heaters." Correct. He said, "I never <laughs> could ever call any sliders." What went through your mind at that moment? You're sitting there with your son, and I think he's like a math whiz. Dad, here's the odds of what we're going to do. Well, it's 86%, whatever it is, and your wife's sitting there. But the Cubs still have not gotten over that hurdle. What goes through your mind that moment? Yeah, I mean, it was, I, you know, I, we were, I was pretty wrapped up in that at bat, in the dynamics of that, that at bat, because um, I felt like he, he was just out if you, if you just, if he spun any slider, he's, he's, he's out. Or even, you know, he also had a change up. He was just so geared up for fastball and was cheating so bad to 
to get to it, um, Jed, Jed was was uh, a few seats over, and we were, we were kind of looking at each other out of the corner of our eye and motioning, you know, doing the little slider motion, and be like, let's just get this, just throw something other than the heater, get this at bat over with. So we were, and, and that bat went on so long that by the end of it, we were, even before he hit the homer, we were we were kind of like seething, and, and that's common, like you you know you you just that's how you watch games, right? Um, is second guessing everything, and, and then when he when he hit the homer, it was like just couldn't believe it um and yeah of course there's an element of here we go again and you know i I didn't think curse but i just think like god this cannot this cannot be happening to us like why does it have to be so difficult and you know and the place is going crazy so at that at that point you know it's it's hard to it's hard to on the road to to blow a big lead in a game that you've been you've been winning the whole time and come back and win so i felt pretty pessimistic until yeah, I saw what I saw during the rain delay, and that kind of changed everything. Theo, as you move away from the game for a while, you know, you and I are around the same age, and we saw baseball as, as kids where you you saw the game move a little quicker, where you saw guys on the base pass, you know, a lot of stolen bases, a lot of hit and run, just a lot of things that keep the game moving. So as you take a look at baseball now moving forward, what are some of the things that baseball can do to improve the on-field product? That is an issue, is it not? Yeah, it is. I mean, there's no doubt, you know, that a lot of the, the work that's been done um, by people, you know, in, in my position to try to optimize individual performance and team performance has had a pretty big negative impact on the entertainment value of the game and on the aesthetic value of the game. There's not too many people who go to the ballpark and say, hey, I don't want to see the ball in play. Like I'm here for the strikeouts and walks. It's just sure. Like strikeouts are great, and you know, you remember watching Roger Clemens' 20 strikeout game, and everyone here saw Kerry Woods' 20 strikeout game. Like that, that's great. But you don't want it to be such a fundamental part of the game that um, you know, 20 25 percent of plate appearances, which is a threshold we're pushing towards in baseball, end in a strikeout. So I think the the biggest thing is to get more action back in the game. You have, you have to get the strikeout rate under control. And you can do that through a combination of um, certain um, making things a little bit harder on pitchers and changing hitters' incentives away from all or nothing power strikeout approaches and towards towards the ball ball in play. So, and baseball um, ultimately will control like a lot of the variables that that um, you can uh, you can adjust to to make a little bit of difference in the style and play. And by that, I mean. The playing rules, the dimensions of the playing field, the equipment, uh, the, the strike zone, the properties of the ball itself, and so I think you know they're and they're hard at work on this, and I'm, I'm really optimistic that there's going to be some change. I, I think there's, there's broad consensus that uh, the trends in the game are, are are troubling, and that if we can get the ball and play more, put the game back into the players' hands, a little bit less, you know, the gameplay itself less less uh, dictated by, by the front office, the whole organization, more by the players and what's going on in the dugout, bring athleticism back and to encourage athleticism and change incentives for general managers to, to value athletic players more. You want to encourage ball and play, rules that promote the ball and play. You want to encourage rules that promote base running and, 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 and um, you know, outfield defense, things along those lines. And you can, you can legislate towards all those things slowly and, and gradually over time without without it without doing it in such a dramatic fashion that it uh, you know is an interruption to the game or a distraction or changes the game that, that we all love so much. There you go, there you go, Cap. There you the go. stolen base is back. Yes. That's right. Here we go. 
Going yeah. back to the 80s again. There yeah. we go. Get back to it. So, <laughs> Theo Epstein's our guest here on Cap J Hood on ESPN 1000. Theo, how much change do you think is truly on the horizon? Because when you arrived, you were very transparent. Hey, man, it's going to take time. Let us build this. And you once said to me, we were doing a season ticket holder event. Just get me to 2017. And it came faster than you thought. How much change do you think is on the horizon? Yeah, first of all, it's not, not my place to say, but it it just depends on a lot of things. You know, a lot some of it just depends on um, how well we do as, as a country uh, trying to mitigate the spread of, of the virus and then um, mobilizing the, the vaccines as quickly as possible. And that's obviously something that we all want to see for for myriad reasons. Um, most importantly, the, the health and welfare um, of, of everyone in this country. Um, but the, the quicker that happens and the quicker fans are back in, in ballparks and, and, and revenues start to, well, life returns to normal, which is what we need. But then, you know, revenues also ultimately return back to normal. And, you know, the degree to which you can project that, I think, impacts every team um, across baseball. So the more normal looks, the more normal an offseason you can have. And, and and the more representative team you can you you could you're, you could probably put together and put on the field, you're, you're the stronger your plans can be. So that's that's the biggest variable. And then you know all the other variables apply: the the, the trade market, the free agent market. You know, you just just now really starting across baseball, trying to figure out uh, with the tender deadline coming, and then meetings after that, and free agency kicking in is you know. How, how are your players valued out there in the game and what, what possibilities are open to you? So Jed and the front office will do a very thorough, uh, very thoughtful job of sorting through all those possibilities. Yeah, I, I, wanna, I want you to measure for us the level of frustration that you might have had with this Cubs team the last two or three years because I've never seen a good team struggle so much offensively. You could just throw the lineup out there and say, why can't, uh, can't these guys be able to give you what you need offensively? So how do you look at the last three years and how do you look at the Cubs moving forward when you have this ineptitude offensively a lot in the last few years? Yeah, I mean, look, it's not fair for me to sit here and say oh, I'm frustrated at their performance. I mean, I... I'm accountable for that, so just frustration with myself as well. Um, you know, it, 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 but it, but it, we we did underperform. You know, if you sit there and look at paper, look on paper. You know, right now, you know, this group still still projects to be you know a, a solid offense, and we should be, but we can't necessarily rely on that because it hasn't proven out that way. And you know, with it, with with. The players that we have, and and with the progression in their career, and, and all of them moving into their primes, we always thought, you know, by the time we got to um, this stage where where they're in their primes, just based on the talent, based on what they'd already done the first couple of years of their career, that we'd have you know a powerhouse group of position players, and that we'd be scrambling to figure out the pitching year to year. Um, that was, which is something that we've actually been able to do. We've had the second best pitching in baseball since 2015 um but the the group of position players it never all came together at the same time and and um i take responsibility for that but yeah having you know having to go out and supplement the offense with a significant move each year was not something i anticipated having to do you know the the deals for the daniel murphys and nick castellanos of the world um and then the, the struggles down the stretch despite that um that's something we didn't anticipate 
and if you know and but we have to you know obviously have to learn from it going forward but if you, you know, if you told me that um you know all these players that have maybe struggled down the stretch and and are the source of a lot of frustration i know for our fans um because it hasn't come together that they that they from this point forward whether it's here or somewhere else absolutely go off and, and reach their potential and play in a lot of all-star games and win mvps and silver sluggers across the diamond like it, it would not surprise me in the least because they are that talented in terms of leaving the cubs would you ever consider another sport so whether it was the bears or another team in football if they called you and said theo we'd like you to be president of our team would you consider another sport well i you know i have too much respect for what it takes to um you know the the decades of of work and experience that go into developing expertise in a given sport to ever say yes to that I just um I think it would be sort of like just presumptuous oh oh I think we lost you know I'd never rule yeah. anything out for long for long life and I do love these other sports so you know look I, I, I'd never seen it rule anything out but I just think that um it can the, the premise of that question vastly underestimates um, how important it is to fully immerse yourself in every element of player evaluation and 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 team composition in another sport before you can be an effective player personnel person in that industry. Theo, is there something in baseball that you'd love to accomplish that you haven't yet? Yeah, I mean, winning. I guess winning a World Series with a third team would be. I mean, that's that would be the goal. Like, when, if I get the back in, is not, I don't even know if someone's done that or not. Um, but I'd, I'd like. Obviously, that's something that I'd like to do. But you know, I'm not completely results um, oriented. You know, as I, you know, when you sit and reflect about what what's important in life, like that's that's the obvious answer. But I've been. Very fortunate, obviously. I've had people give me opportunities and people believe in me and then, you know, been able to work in a couple front offices where the culture that developed was one of trust, transparency, um, connection, collaboration, fun. And, um, and I was privileged to, you know, sit atop those organizations and be in a role where I could make sure I had everyone back and provide some shelter for them and give them room to roam and room to make mistakes and, 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 and room to grow and then room to, room to flourish and dominate and, and see them develop and, and move on as top executives too. So, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, more important than winning a World Series again somewhere else down the line would be just having the opportunity to to be part of a culture like that again, develop a culture like that. And then the older you get, the more you see the people who've, who've worked with you uh, and worked for you blossom and go on and do wonderful things. So I'd love to see um, somebody that I helped develop win, win some World Series and make a, make a big impact in a, on a fan base as well, too. Last thing, so... If you take a macro look, boy, there I'm at my dad's gravesite three or four days after you win the World Series. And I'm looking around going, wow, there are Cubs pennants, hats, red and blue flower everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's the macro look. Micro is you and some of your closest confidants 
putting toilet paper all over the front of Jed Hoyer's house. <laughs> where does no, that that's rank? That's a rumor. Yeah, we got video proof. What is that? Now, what does that mean grainy, to you? That's grainy video, so you can't prove <laughs> the identity of any of those individuals. <laughs> that had to be something because of what you've gone through to get to that point. That had to be an amazing moment. Uh, what in Jed's yard? Yes. Yeah. Well, Jed, you'll you'll learn soon enough as now that he's at the helm that he he can. He can be overly, you know, conservative and, and, and never afraid to look out for his self-interest. And he can tend to shut it down early on a night out when you're supposed to be, you know, put on, on behalf of the Cubs having a good time mm -hmm. with your colleagues and building culture. He's not afraid to shut it down early and go home so he can get his beauty sleep and, and wake <laughs> up early in the morning and work out. So if you do that too often, there's, there are usually consequences and a price to be paid. So... <laughs> you, you'll see how that you know you, as you get to know Jed better. You'll 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 see his weaknesses, and hopefully you'll work with him to to improve those. Theo, thank you so much for always being so accessible, so accommodating, and being most importantly very very honest through the good and the bad. Thanks, guys. Well, I've to say I've enjoyed this ride, and um, it would be a massive understatement. It's been you know the thrill of a lifetime, and and. Shows like yours uh, help help develop that connection between the fans and the team, and give an outlet for people to voice, you know, all their emotions, frustration at times, or, or joy at times, and um, that just adds to that just adds to the richness of the experience. And as I said yesterday, you know, the, one of the special things about Chicago sports and the Cubs experience in particular is that the lines get blurred, you know, between. Fans, players, front office people, owners, media members, um, especially with you, Cap, during Game Seven. Gosh, you were rooting really hard, and which is which is awesome, and I love it. But that's what makes it special. We're all together. No, no, no one wants to try to accomplish something in a vacuum. It's um, and this is the opposite of that. This this this, this was an entire city and entire fan base with the organization doing something special and experiencing it together so um we'll never forget it and i appreciate uh everyone caring so much because that's what made it special thanks guys